I am the elusive Pastor Linda. Seriously, uh, I, I don't really have the words to express what a joy it is to be here with you in person. Um, as some of you know, Jeff and I have been spending the number of months in the beautiful home country of Canada waiting for the U.S. government to say we can come back, and they finally did that. So here we are, um, and I looked up to see when I last preached in front of you in person. And of course, that was back at BFIT in the South End, and that was on, that should make you guess, it was March the 8th, 2020. That was the last time we met in person before we gathered back at Kendall Square, 88 Sundays ago. That's a long time. So I have to confess I'm a little nervous, but I am thrilled because I'm looking at people, I'm not looking at the back of my iPhone. And um, it was kind of fun and frustrating, and that's another whole story of how to set up to record every week. My favorite was when I was able to be out in the bush, because nature speaks God to me. Uh, that was my favorite. Uh, yeah. And the great thing is, we were fortunate, Jeff and I, of having a friend who had a cottage that he never went to during the week that was out in the bush, and it had Wi-Fi. So that was our work from home in beautiful nature. And often Jeff would do conference calls outside, and they go, where are you? And it was, you got to hear the Blue Jays. We watched foxes go by, and porcupines climb trees, and, and squirrels, and rabbits. And they're my favorite, because you know when you make a noise when a rabbit runs by, what do they do? They freeze. And you think, I, I can see you. But the rabbit's going, if I don't move, you can't see me. Those silly rabbits, right? And it reminded me of games we play with little, little kids. If you play with them when they're young and you put a little towel over their eyes and you lift it up and they giggle and giggle and giggle because they think they're hiding. And then as they get older, you've all played this, little kid covers her eyes. It's like, you can't see me. And it's peekaboo. But when they get older and can walk and run, then what's the game? Hide and seek, right? And that is so much fun to do. When I, was, uh, when I was in my teens, well, younger than that, our neighborhood, we used to play hide-and-seek in the neighborhood with all our friends in everyone's backyard. Anyone do that late into the evening till dusk hit? And then you knew it was time to go home. And that was great fun because you find your favorite spot and you really play this game of, I don't want to be found, I don't want to be found, I don't want to be found. And then something changes, right? Because you start hitting the age where you do want to be found. You hit junior high, you hit high school, and you go, I want that boy to find me. Or I want that girl to see me and smile at me. We change. But every being is created wanting to be seen. Doesn't matter if you're an introvert or an extrovert, that has absolutely nothing to do with it. It's about someone see me, see me. Then you know you are being seen, and you are important. When I was in high school, when I was thinking back at this time, in high school, we had to read Death of a Salesman, uh, written by Arthur Miller in 1948. Fantastic play, if you've never read it. And I'm not insinuating that I went to high school in 1948. I was not of that decade. But that's when it was written. And uh, it really st follows the story of the father, Willie Loman, and uh, his 
his life and his family. And at one point, his wife said, I don't say he's a great man. Willie Lowman never made a lot of money. His name is never in the paper. He's not the finest character that ever lived, but he's a human being. And a terrible thing is happening to him. Some attention must be paid. He's not to be allowed to fall into his grave like an old dog. Attention, attention must finally be paid to such a person. Attention must be paid. I think that story from decades ago is so reflective of every human, and we see it even more so today. Every year, Cigna does a study called the Loneliness Index. And in 2020, this was their findings. 61% of adults in the U.S. feel lonely. And we were talking about decades and people. 71% of millennials and 79% of Generation Z, yes, I said that correctly, feel lonely. That's the cry of our hearts. To, I, I need some attention. Attention must be paid. I need to be seen. I'm lonely. So today we're going to continue and we're going to look to see what God speaks about loneliness and our need to be seen and known. So let's pause and uh, ask for his help, for his presence and uh, his words. So Lord Jesus, um, we read those stats and we feel them in our hearts, sometimes desperately, sometimes just a little Sometimes we're fine. But Lord, what we really want to know right now for the next few minutes is what you say about it. What does your character tell us about you? So Holy Spirit, as always, we ask for your presence in this room so that you may open our ears, our hearts, our minds, our souls to who God is. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're back in our sermon series, if you were here a couple weeks ago, all about what God reveals about himself to us, what he says. And um, we talked about the voice of authority and the object of our trust and how he invites us in to come to him for true wisdom. Not wisdom and knowledge of the world, but true wisdom. So today, another aspect of God. And we're going to start in Genesis, chapter 16. And uh, our story today starts with a slave, an Egyptian slave. And she is owned by Abram and Sarah, becoming Abraham and Sarah. And they never call her by name. They refer to her only as Sarah's slave girl. She's forced to have sex with Abraham and conceive a child that's a surrogate for Sarah, who at that point is barren. Sarah treats her harshly, and understandably, she runs away. Hagar runs away. And this is what we read after she runs away. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where 
are you going? We're going to skip a few verses ahead. And now Hagar speaks. No, first she says, I'm running away from my mistress, Sari. And then we jump ahead. Sorry, I told you I was a little nervous. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. This interaction is very short but very fascinating because we're told the angel of the Lord finds her and what's the first word out of his mouth? Hagar, her name. No one on earth speaks her name to her, but God does. And then she's asked, where have you come from and where are you going? And there's a question about, tell me about your past. Where have you come from? Tell me about your future. Where are you going? And Hagar answers, I'm running away. That's her past. She just knows she does not want to be in her past anymore. She's escaping. She's isolated. She's alone. She's fearful. But she knows her past. She doesn't want to be there. And I think it's interesting that Hagar does not answer the second question, which is, what's your future? From her point of view, none. She has no future. All she knows is she doesn't want to be in her past, but she has no idea what she's, where she's going, what's going to happen. She's feeling unknown, unseen, without hope of anything changing. And into Hagar's despair, God reveals himself. He says, attention is being paid. I see you. And I think it's interesting that in the seamlessly hopeless time for Hagar, that God reveals this part of who he is. And Hagar uses, gives him the name, the name of El-Rai. That's the Hebrew for it. You don't have to remember that. It's just interesting to hear those words sometimes. Uh, the God who sees. So a couple chapters later, we meet Hagar again. And at this point, she has had this son, Ishmael. The name means God hears. And uh, Sarah and Abraham have kicked her out. Sarah got angry with her again. They gave her some water and sent her on her way. Talk about a rough life, a rough couple of years. And she's out there. And the water, of course, runs out. She puts Ishmael under a bush, and she goes away out of earshot because she said, I can't hear him cry anymore because he's dying of thirst. And then we read these words. God heard the boy crying. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up. Take him by the hand. For I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes. And she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with the water and gave the boy a drink. So once again, El-Rai shows up and reveals something about himself. He sees the suffering of Ishmael, which is a physical suffering, and the suffering of Hagar, which is an emotional suffering. And once again, he is present, and he provides the hope of a future for her. 
I think it's, it's a fascinating story. There's so much in there. What I think is imperative that we understand is the God who sees Hagar is not just the God who sees Hagar. It's the God who sees each one of us. And we see that throughout scripture, which means this is a character of God, not just a one-off that he only cared about Hagar. There's countless ways that God reveals that to us. So we're just going to look at a couple of them because I think it's important you understand this. Way back beginning of Genesis, the God who sees is also the one who walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. They knew they were, that God saw them because he was right there walking with them. If we go forward in the Old Testament a bit, we get to a king. It's recorded in 2 Kings, chapters 18 to 20. Great story of King Hezekiah. If you've never read it, you've got to read it. A couple of chapters. And um, at one point, Hezekiah is very ill. And the prophet Isaiah comes to him and says, sorry to tell you this, Hezekiah, but you are about to die. Well, that's not very good news, is it? And so Hezekiah rolls over, stares at the wall, weeps, and prays to God. Now, I'm probably not alone in saying there are many times that I have done that. And probably many times you have done that. You roll over, stare at the wall, weep, and cry out to God. So when Hezekiah did this, Isaiah comes back and he says, Thus says the Lord, the God of your ancestor, David, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. I will heal you. God hears the prayers. He sees the tears. And God will heal you. God sees you. Psalms has a number of examples of people um, celebrating God and how he sees them. In Isaiah 30, Isaiah, in Psalm 33, at one point it says, from where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashioned the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. In Psalm 121, that starts, I lift up my eyes to the hill, where does my help come from? A couple of verses later, it says, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. There's never a time God can't see you. And then in Psalm 56, it's recorded that you keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle, and you have recorded each one in your book. Now, that's probably enough of the Old Testament. I could go on and on, but I won't because we're going to leave forward to the New Testament and Jesus. The arrival of Jesus, and I, I think it's really important that we understand the kind of life Jesus had, because God understands everything you go through. Jesus was, of course, a refugee as a child, betrayed by friends. Other friends ran away when it got difficult. He was isolated, mocked, ridiculed, tortured, put to death. So when the God who sees you, you can remember that Jesus went through everything we go through. And while Jesus was on earth, he reminded us of a few more words that God says to remind us that he sees us. 
Jesus said, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten in God's sight. But even the hairs of your head are all counted. Do not be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. When I was a kid, there was that song I learned in church. God sees the little sparrow fall. I don't know if you remember that one. And then God also, uh, Jesus also talks about that God calls his sheep by name and leads them out. Now, Jesus also showed us what this looks like when he saw those who were considered untouchable and were completely isolated from society. And what did he do? He reached out. He touched them. He healed them. The woman at the well who had lived a past that she did not want to reveal to Jesus and a past that burned her so much that she went to the well in the heat of the day where no one else would be there so that she didn't have to be ridiculed anymore. And Jesus spoke to her. He saw her. He started to heal who she was. So ultimately, where this brings us is that the God who sees us saw that we humans could not be brought into relationship with him. We cannot be saved from our sins on our own. The God who sees us provides us with the true hope of our future, what Hagar was missing, through Jesus Christ. Our God, who sees us now, wants to see us in heaven with him. Our God, your God, who sees you now, wanted to see you in heaven, so he sent his son. And as recorded in John, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So the God who walked in the garden and saw Adam and Eve, the God who saw Hagar and called her by name, the God who saw Hezekiah and his tears, Hezekiah's tears, he's the same God who sees you now and saw how lost humanity was, sees you, sees me. Attention is being paid. Now, what about us? Think back to Hagar. Now, her situation is probably one that most of us cannot relate specifically to, her situation, being a slave. However, I think her emotions we have experienced many times. Fear. Loneliness, feeling unloved, unnoticed. For us, perhaps it's a friend who has hurt you or betrayed you. Maybe your parents neglected you or abused you as a child. Maybe your employer overlooks you and all the hard work you do. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe you're failing a class or two, and it seems hopeless. Perhaps you've wondered the same thing as Hagar when she found herself alone. Does anyone care about me? Can they see what's going on in my life? 
Maybe you've even wondered if God cares. And you've cried out to him. You've cried out, do, do you see me, God? Do you know what's going on? Or are you too far away? Well, the answer to these questions, as it was for Hagar, is God saying, I see you. It's God calling you by name and saying there is hope. There is a plan. God sees you in your past misery, any present pain you're in, and maybe your uncertain future. You are seen, you are known, you are loved. I think that's a message we need to hear over and over and over again. You're invited by God into a life of hope, of the future, forgiven and forever because of the God who sent Jesus into the world. In a few minutes, we're going to have communion. And it's a wonderful, incredible time of remembering what Jesus did, of his sacrifice, because God sees us, of his sacrifice that revealed to us that life does have a future, that life does have a hope. And that God wants to be in relationship with each one of us when he calls us by name. In Isaiah, Isaiah, it's recorded, yet I will not forget you. See, I have inscribed you in the palms of my hands. And this can only happen when Jesus takes away our sins, our past, our present, even our future sins, to open the way up for our future. Yet when we come to communion, I want us to be unburdened. I want us to truly be known, knowing who God is. And only God can release you to fully experience communion. With our church focus this fall all about prayer and hearing from God of what the future of Cornerstone is and the future of us as individuals is, I want to encourage you right now, we're going to do a little prayer guided. And I highly encourage you to close your eyes. Not to have a little nap, but I encourage you to close your eyes because right now this is between you and God. Not you and your neighbor and God. Not you and me and God. You and God. So as we enter into this time with God, our eyes closed so that we can focus on him and him alone, sit comfortably. I want you to think about your past or your present that makes you feel unseen. A past action, a past hurt, Words, actions of others, a failure that makes you feel isolated, lonely. I want you to put these in your hands and hold your fist tight. 
I want you to feel the weight of them, the burden and the emotions of them. And now tell God how you are feeling right now about them and about yourself. Now hear God say, I see you. Are you ready to hear those words from God? I see you. Are you ready to release the past and the present that you're holding so tightly to? I see you. Now I want you to open your hands. Stretch your fingers out. Release whatever you have clenched in there up to God. Remember, he keeps track of your sorrows. He has collected all your tears in his bottle and he has recorded each one in his book. God says, I see you. I know you. I love you. I will not forget you. I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Gracious God, who sees each one of us. We release whatever keeps us isolated and alone into your hands. All of those hands that were inscribed with nails when you hung on the cross. Jesus, your sacrifice gives us the hope and the strength to be seen. 